specifically especially for the first like half of the film i really wanted to give like a really ominous you know kind of vibe to the whole thing because i just wanted to capture that kind of feeling you get when you're you know out in the middle of nowhere and like you know anything could be you know lurking in the shadows so um to me it was really important to put the audience on edge you know from right from the get-go that was kind of the magic of your next for me was like um being able to do a movie from the start thinking how do we make the audience you know how do we subvert their expectations about like you know horror movies in general but how do we make them laugh how do we make them get along with it how do we like gross them out and how do we like terrify them but also keep them on the same boat that we're on i've always been really interested in ways to make movies um, more interactive for the viewing experience and i think for a horror film like that's the most visceral interesting way to do it is to really give the audience a a real jolt you know and because uh, they're really feeling the movie at that point they're feeling the terror and a lot of it is like you know is finding ways of you make somebody look at something a certain way you focus their attention on something and it's about controlling the sound during that moment and then giving like a visual cue of some kind that they didn't expect and then uh, you know hopefully blowing their minds Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. 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 Hi. Kevin's back from Singapore. Woo! Hello. I am. Welcome yes. home. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. We missed you. You were still here, though. I was. I, I appreciate the Pulled fact that um, you uh, you guys found a way to fit me in, as awkward as it sounded at times. The streak is still alive. Uh, I do appreciate last week's <laughs> episode. You guys, you know, really did uh, throw out a lot of missing me. It was nice. I also think that you guys really missed a chance to like make fun of me more, and Whoa. I was thinking maybe more like impressions of me. <laughs> that's um, that's no fun if you're not here. But I guess <laughs> I also impre- well, well, but see, it would be because I would be hearing it. <laughs> that's true. I didn't think of that. I thought I was pretty harsh on you on the text thread yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you were calling you international corporate dick. And yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Singapore was amazing. Um, but this is the longest I've gone without seeing you guys, and I definitely missed it. You know, Trent was awesome. We did like a Zoom call so I could be on the episode two weeks ago, which was a lot more organic. Sitting in a hotel room in Singapore by myself and having a conversation by myself was very hard. I thought uh, you would take right to it. I thought you'd be like, oh, this is great. What, you think I, I just sit in rooms and talk yeah, to myself all yeah, the time? I, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the streak is alive. Kevin has never missed an episode of Speak All Evil. Yeah. Cal Ripken. Well, next week I w- will just be in Florida, and I I shan't be um, yeah recording well, myself alone in a hotel. No, room, no, unfortunately. I won't. No, as a matter of fact, next time, uh, and I was gonna say, next time somebody has to take a an all expense paid vacation to the other side of the world. Hey, this was not an all. This is a work <laughs> trip. It was definitely not all expenses uh, paid. Just enjoy that. I and think don't that worry was Kevin enjoying his trip, though. Is it gave podcast. me something. It gave me something to look forward to. Uh, I was very stressed when I took my mic out of my suitcase. The stand broke, <gasps> and all I could think about was the episode I did when I was on vacation, where you were holding. And it. I held the mic, and that- I, Dave's voice was just ringing through my head, like, 
you can't touch the mic, bro. You can always do the uh, <laughs> hanging down like the announcer at a boxing match Ooh. kind of thing. You hang it down from the top if you don't have a mic stand. Well, we're getting a little inside baseball here. That's not what, uh, <laughs> not what anybody is here for. This week, Kevin's back, and it's Kevin's week. Do you have? A, is there a theme here? Not intentionally, but this is more like the uh, the mystery woman week. Okay. We didn't know right. that sure. our protagonist had these a, a certain set of skills, if right. you will. Okay. I don't know why I paired these up. I just had watched them. They're, kind of like a few months ago. They're similar. I feel like they're kind of, they're a little action-y horror. Yep, mm -hmm. for sure. And they well, both have the, the, like you said, the mysterious final girl. When there's, yeah. there's a certain set of skills involved, is either like Liam Neeson or exactly. somebody, it's a little yeah. action. Yeah. Exactly. But they, but Liam Neeson tells you that. In these <laughs> movies, both of these movies, I feel like you're kind of caught off guard, like, holy shit. So anyway, I am starting this week with... It depends on where you see it. 2011. I feel like we didn't get this until 2013. We didn't. For some I was going to ask you if you know why it took so long. Probably to be... festival. Right. But anyway, I'm going to say 2013's You're Next, directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Barrett, um, who also is wearing the tiger mask in this. And Wingard, we know from a whole bunch. Uh, this is actually, I love this week, or, or this movie in particular, because we've had so many recent episodes where we talk to sort of indie horror film people and people that work with like a lot of the same circle of people. And this is like the epitome of that. Uh, Wingard has done, you know, VHS segments. Uh, the guest, he did Blair Witch, which was kind of supposed to be his big commercial breakout, which flopped the big re time the remake the, yes Blair Witch and then Godzilla versus Kong which we talked about we did and he's now doing Godzilla and Kong which kind of mm. a lame title but he's a big mumblecore guy and he works with a lot of the same people so this tells the story of a family that is very much estranged and their parents are celebrating their 35th, 35th wedding anniversary at their secluded vacation home. So they bring together all of their children and their children's significant others for this big, supposed to be healing weekend for the family. And then all of a sudden, somebody gets shot in the head with an arrow, a bunch of weirdos in animal masks descend upon the home and just start killing everybody. And you have no idea why. This is one that I loved upon release. I was really a big fan of, of Wingard and Barrett, a big fan of Joe Swanberg, uh, a lot of the cast in this, you know, we get a, I guess I would call it a cameo by Ty West, um, Amy Simons. There's so many great people in the world of like indie horror filmmaking, but also this is just very brutal. I forgot how brutal this movie was. It is a little bit action-y, as you mentioned, Trent, but not for lack of gore and just straight up horror. Um, I love the way that Somehow Wingard made this movie for a million bucks. It looks like $15 million to me. Uh, the other movie we'll talk about had a much bigger budget. It does look a little bit more polished, but I think that takes away from some of its charm. I think Your Next is a little more grimy, to use Dave's favorite word. Um, but I found this, uh, revisiting this, to be really satisfying. And Sharni Vinson as our surprise woman that just has a certain set of skills um, was really great. So I can't wait to uh, be back and to hear what you guys thought about this. Uh, when I first saw this, I have no 
re- I don't remember why, but I didn't like this. And this time I watched it, I absolutely loved it. I loved that it had uh, jump scares. It had suspense. It had like that manner setting, like bodies, bodies, bodies. And you're not quite sure who to trust, what's going on. It also had a very uh, home invasion, strangers kind of thing, which is that, that really terrifies me. That's like one of my biggest fears. I love the reoccurring song in this. Looking for the Magic by Dwight Twilley. <laughs> Dwight Twilley. Uh, uh, Dwight Twilley, um, who the bass player for Dwight Twilley is Tom Petty before oh. he uh, went solo. Mm. So if you check out uh, Looking for the Magic, you'll see him in the background. And Trent was saying how hot he was back then. Tom Petty? Yeah. He, he was a weird. What? He, he looked a like a beautiful. Dude. He looked like a beautiful woman. When he first started, With yeah. those teeth. He looked like a supermodel. <laughs> yeah, but I, I loved how gory this was. I loved that instead of just a hammer, which is like one of my favorite blunt instruments to bash people with. Um, like you personally? <laughs> yes. Or watching movies the with hammers. The meat tenderizer mm. uh, as a weapon, uh, which served very well head caving in, head bashing. I love the gore in this. We also have the nail up through the foot. We also had a Ty West cameo, which was very nice. And yeah, I love this this time. I was very, very surprised um, I would watch this again. This is a great one. Loved it the first time. Still love it now. Um, you hit, I think the word satisfying is really the way to describe this movie. It's just very satisfying. It gives you the setup and the characters. It's so efficient. Right away, okay, setting. Here's what's going on. Here's the family dynamic. Here we go. Bang, arrow through the head. It's on. It wastes no time, but it doesn't rush. You you know exactly what's going on. I love the open the the dinner when they first sit down to dinner. Joe Swanberg plays Drake, my favorite character for sure. Yes. Of course he yes. just starts writing at the table. Because <laughs> he just wants the, like, to start shit all the time. You know, <laughs> talking to the Ty West is playing the indie filmmaker and he's telling him how much he loves commercials and he thinks commercials are better than shows now and uh he doesn't get the whole starving artist thing why don't you just make these great commercials and then he's getting into it with his other brother chris crispin and then bang ty west is out arrow in the head this kind of reminded me of like a super group one-off record where like a bunch of up-and-coming musicians in different bands who are all friends, maybe from the same scene or whatever, like Mad Season or Temple of the Dog or something like that. <laughs> you know, like all these filmmakers, these indie horror filmmakers who all know each other kind of just get a, a, a couple weeks to do this home invasion, family slasher type of movie. And everybody's in it. You, you've mentioned most of them, but you get Larry Fessenden, the cameo on this, Barbara Crampton. Yep. Is this, I mean, it's a pretty long list. So it just has that feel even if you don't know that i feel like it just it has that feel of like kind of everybody's in the playpen and they're just getting to do all the stuff i'm i'm surprised i didn't realize the budget was a million dollars i think it looks great yeah it's a oh, really yeah. good looking movie the gore looks great i feel like i enjoyed the first half before you know the initial twist comes about 50 minutes in this is about 90 minute movie right hour and a half something like that I enjoyed it more before I knew the twist. I think this is, I, I would say this is a little bit like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and, and the other movie that we're going to talk about this week where I think you lose a little bit once you know 
the explanation and i mean it's pretty ridiculous <laughs> the explanation is like okay what yeah uh, I, I liked it a little more when it was just creepy masks shooting bone arrows you talked about the meat tenderizer this movie makes great use of the bow and arrow that is a, a time time tested um horror weapon from way back you don't see it enough it's a little more visceral a little more personal a little meaner than a gun or you know you really get your mileage out of every kill mm. with a bow and arrow loved that all the characters were were great in this this is just a really good time this is a very satisfying dice them up invade the home kind of a kind of a little bit of a genre mashup i would say assembled ensemble like bodies 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 like knives out like rabid grannies i can throw that one out what? there again. <laughs> nice uh, <laughs> all, all classic stuff all very true to many horror traditions in this uh, this is a great time you, you really can't go wrong with your next if you haven't seen it you definitely have to see this this might be a boring episode because i also enjoyed this film I was, I think I was expect. I had never seen it, and I think I was expecting like a purge slash the strangers kind of a mashup, and I think that's pretty much, yeah, yeah pretty much what we got. Yeah, the gore's fun, the kills are fun, and then the twist comes in, and I, I agree with you. I think a little bit. You're like, oh, okay, that makes it less, less in, not less interesting, but less like horrifying yeah, i guess yeah but i didn't see it coming yeah which i think makes for a good twist i feel like now i'm a seasoned um twist guesser um <laughs> while, whilst watching these films and i usually think i guess it um uh, but i did not see this one coming didn't see the other one co- there was just like twist on twist on twist there's, and, a, there's a couple twists yeah and i yeah. i liked it a lot yeah. um i definitely loved that brother was my favorite one the Drake. one that you was so, so good. and that's um joe swanberg right yeah oh yeah. god i hated that he guy. was so yeah. good but he was just like so good at being an asshole that yeah, i was just yeah. like i like this guy um well, I, that when he says a little unprofessional. Oh my, just oh my god! Oh my god! And Chris so is like, "What was that?" And he's like, "What? I didn't, huh?" Well, I was just, I'm just that's what you said. Oh my god! I was like, "I'm at my family's dinner table. I love it." I thought it was nicely paced. I never had a moment of being bored with no. it, which was great. Like no. there was always something going on, but it wasn't too much that you couldn't like follow it. Obviously, loved the badass Australian woman. She was like a weird home alone, murderous yeah. Macaulay Culkin <laughs> yes. kind of a situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, this wasn't like the most groundbreaking film I think we've ever seen, but I had a fun time watching it. And sometimes that's really all all that you need. So yeah. it, was, it was a fun watch for sure. I, I think from a horror fan perspective, all the care, all the actors and people involved that we talked about would just make us gravitate to this, especially as as many films as we've consumed on the show and in our own horror consuming lives. Um, we've talked about in some context or at least one degree, we've talked about everybody in this movie in yeah. some other movie. Yeah. yeah. And, and we haven't even talked about A.J. Bowen, who plays yeah. Crispin, which is honestly the worst name. What was he oh, in that we talked about? House of the Devil... Uh, oh, the sacraments. Uh, something Signal. else. The sacraments. He's in Swanberg and, and Bowen. Okay, right. This is a very wink, wink, nod, nod to the horror audience, and that's really, I think, what Wingard and Barrett were going out to do. And w- another movie that we talked about that Barrett cited as a big inspiration for writing this is Bay of Blood. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, um, I don't he- really remember that really having much in common with this, but. 
I understand what you guys are saying when you say that when I think when you find out that Aaron, as the family comes under attack, Aaron is Crispin's girlfriend. He's a college professor and he has been sleeping with yet, you know, another one of his students, which seems to be like a theme in his life. And that's the conversation at the dinner table, Trent, that you referenced where Drake is like a total dick to him. A little unprofessional. (laughs) Uh, But you can tell that nobody had any idea that she is from the outback and grew up like this survivalist. So like twist one is like, she was so sweet in the beginning. Like, I can't wait to meet your family. She's so snuggly. And then all of a sudden she's like, fucking people are trying to kill us. I'm gonna kill you. Um, That's twist one. I think the other twist... I guess I do understand. I've never thought of it this way when you guys say that you... I don't think you lose, like, enjoyment in the movie. No. You lose some of the suspense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Some of the sort of, like, shock factor. Yeah. That, um, like, the stranger's Because it's just... It's so well done, the initial attack on the family. The family, they sit down to their big dinner. Everybody finally gets there. And then that's when the attack happens. And it's the relentless... The arrows are through the window. Like, it is scary, and it is relentless, and they have no idea what's going on. It's so powerful. But I'll still say that even after that, there's a certain sense of revenge that you're waiting for that I think sort of, like, keeps your engagement. So maybe some of the suspense is gone or some are like, oh, my God, who are the people in the mass and what's happening? That that sort of, like, terror leaves. But then you sort of get, like, this engagement and, like, adrenaline boost where you're like... I want to see the people responsible for the, this yes. get their come up in right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of yeah. Um, that's where that's, your focus goes after. Yeah, that. yeah. And when they're they're setting it all up, it's also exciting too because it has the cringe factor. Like Get Out has, like you're at a strange family's dinner in their home, and so everything's a little bit weird anyway. But I I don't know. I, as far as the twist goes. I think maybe if you had to murder one person to get to that end, like that's it, fine. You think they become it's, mass murderers? It's a yeah. little, uh, I, you know what I mean. Like it, it's best to not think too hard. About yeah. it. Like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. That has to be some reason. The neighbors get Good it. Uh, yeah. Some random person. Yeah, that, yeah, it's like collateral damage. That opening, that cold open where the neighbors, Larry Fessenden, and I don't remember the actress that that's in that scene, but she's been in some of these other movies too. Yeah. Great cold open kill scene. Mm-hmm. Really good. And it has that song that you love. Another part of this movie, other than the song that, because the cold open comes back a bunch. Yeah. Like we basically yeah. get it like twice. And I, know, get, I love that too. It's always like, oh, go to the neighbor's house. Everybody wants to so go to the neighbor's times, house. Every time. And you hear that song. <laughs> like Dave and I were talking earlier, like, do you have to pay extra? When you license a song, is it like, I'm going to pay you this much for this song for 30 seconds? Because in this movie, that song plays for like a full five minutes of the runtime. A lot. I don't think that it, I don't think it does cost extra because a lot of times, anytime any of my songs have been used, they used like five or four seconds of it at not even audible volume. And paid for it. Yeah, I've seen like, like a local band, Colpits from Portland. They were in like an episode of Supernatural, but it was literally just as somebody took an earbud out. White noise. And that's all you heard. Like you literally heard it like in the background for like four seconds, like buried. Anyway, uh, the other part of the music of this movie I thought was brilliant. I thought it was very like John Carpenter inspired, like very synth heavy. um, And it was done by Mads Heldberg. Nice. Who's also done Cheap Thrills. Have you guys seen that with Pat Healy? Yeah. Uh, Excision. 
Oh yeah, with uh, the girl from Anna Lynn McCord. Yeah, Tracy Lords is in that as well. Yep. Um, really cool. Um, and apparently Wingard did some music for this as well. But this is a really good score. It's it's um, other than the song that pounds you for the entire film. I love it's that a, song. It's a really good synthy synthy tune. Did we have any? Uh, what was our favorite kill of the um, of the film? Hmm. Hmm. I I know mine. Got to be the blender. Right. Yeah. Oh, blender. <laughs> no. Blender's good. It's um, good. I thought the dad's was probably my favorite just because it came out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden he's just like talking and then like slice and I'm like, oh. I like Drake's. So I'm getting a little bit into (laughs) long, long. long (laughs) I had to stab him so many times. It takes the whole movie for him to die. (laughs) I have a a favorite kill and a favorite post kill scene. My favorite kill is Amy Seamitz. Simon, however you say it, also mm-hmm. from the sacrament. Oh, that is a great one. Um, oh, that is a great that one. That one you don't see coming. Yeah, get a good running. I, I yeah. can see myself <laughs> falling for that. But, yeah. Okay, Kev, oh, we're going to open the door, get a running start, <laughs> and then it's just like, boom, <laughs> bye. Post-death scene, I want you to fuck me next to your dead mother. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I was good. like, please oh, don't. No. What's your name, Z? <laughs> even yeah. e- even he was. I know. Please I, don't. That was the moment where I was like, okay, this is how this is gonna like make the character like either really really way shittier than we think, or the normal amount of shitty. And luckily, he was just the normal I didn't, amount. I didn't remember that. Fuck me next to your dead mother. Uh, <laughs> he's like, I mean, no. I've heard a lot of weird stuff. That's. <laughs> I mean, the script is honestly is full of a lot of pretty comedic lines. It's funny, yeah. That, it is. That one Swan, that just so I can see why you like Swanberg so much because he is pretty funny. Like yeah. not just the dinner scene, but like when Crispin first shows up and Drake is already there, he's already making fun of how he's fat. Oh right, and it, it, I mean he's like trying like, to like wrestle him, trying to wrestle him like right from the get go <laughs> as like adults. Um, yeah, this is a pretty painful family to watch. Oh, mm-hmm. we're gonna get the blender right now. Blender. I like this scene. It's not a kill, but um, she grabs the pot of gravy off the stove and like oh. dumps it on the guy yeah, and he's yeah. like that's not even hot you stupid bitch and then he <laughs> slips in it and falls like, <laughs> <laughs> can we go full spoiler so if you haven't seen yeah. the movie danger the emergency destruct system is now activated the ship will detonate in T-10 minutes the option to override automatic detonation expires in T-minus five minutes. Eventually we find out that it's Crispin and what, Zeke? That's the second twist. It, it's a uh, double twist. Yeah, it's... Oh, um, it's, it's Nicholas Tucci who plays Felix. And yeah, he was actually um, in The Ranger. Right, Nicholas Tucci, R.I.P. Passed away, yeah, 39 years old. Oh, yeah, no. sad. So it's Felix, Tooch. the youngest brother, and Crispin, who I'm a, I don't know, I have no idea what the ages of the children are. They're both in on it. They're having their parents killed because they want their inheritance. Their dad's loaded, and they want the money. Um, but at, at the end, Crispin at some point goes for quote unquote help and just basically he's just hiding in the woods because he does, doesn't want to see his family get slaughtered even though he's implicit in it. He comes back and he finds out that his girlfriend Aaron, Sharni Vincent, has just killed everybody and he's trying to talk her into forgiving him and I love his quote, how are we supposed to know that you are really good at killing people? Which is actually sort of weird by the way. <laughs> and she, I mean she's just looking at him like you tried to have your whole fucking family <laughs> killed. Yeah. How is my self-defense weird? He was basic. Yeah, he was basically just like, 
it's kind of, listen, it's kind of your fault that you ruined this plan. We would have been like rolling in it. Yeah. He's like, yeah. He's like, I'll give you $500,000. Yeah. Reminded me a little of revenge as well. But yeah. I, I liked how she came from uh, her dad was her survivalist until she was 15 and she had to do all these defense things and that comes out. And... So was her dad crazy then probably? Like maybe he was that guy that was in that movie that we watched that one time I about mean, the Australian you could, Outback. You can say he's crazy, but oh, she survived yes. this. Australia's hard. Every, Poisonous things, you. yeah. What do we think happens to her at the end? It's a very, it's very, the ending it, it reminds me. It is very ambiguous. It reminded me of Ready or Not. Yeah, uh, yep, that. Very similar. I was thinking the same thing. In what manner? As... All right, my second pick this week, another sort of twisty turny with a uh, mysterious female protagonist is 2020's The Hunt. So directed by Craig Zobel, who I had never heard of, but he did The Mayor of Easttown, he did the show Compliance, and Westworld. So uh-huh. a lot of TV stuff, and I guess this was his first big shot. Written by Nick Cuse and Damon Lindelof, who a lot of us will know from the show Lost, also, the HBO show The Leftovers and Watchmen. So this is basically the story of Mannergate, what is purported to be a fictional situation where left-wingers drop a bunch of right-wingers into the forest around the, this alleged manor, and they hunt them down. So this is a very politically charged, very dark comedy, satirical Um, And like I said, political movie. This actually was postponed from release due to the political climate in our country. And I always assumed that this was postponed because of Trumpism and what was going on with MAGA. But apparently it was a couple of mass shootings that got this postponed Mm. that I didn't realize. And it all makes sense because this is essentially a movie about a bunch of people being taken prisoner, dropped into the middle of the woods, and then being hunted down. And in a twist that the movie makes clear pretty early on, it's a bunch of very, very right-wing, Republican, redneck folks, uh, 2A, don't tread on me people being hunted down by elitist, uh, left-wing Democratic uh, folks. I love this one, honestly, and I think for the most part, I love this one because of our main protagonists, kind of like in Your Next, where we have Sharni Vincent as Aaron. In this one, we get Betty Gilpin as Crystal May Creasy, or Snowball, (laughs) as our hunters like to call her. And I had never seen her in anything other than the Grudge remake, which I didn't love upon first watch, but I have revisited that, and I do actually like it a little bit more. But Betty Gilpin's great. She was in Glow, which I have yet to watch. Mm. Dave, I think you were a big fan of that show. Her performance really carries this through until you get to the point where Hilary Swank arrives. And just like Your Next, this is another like ensemble cast, but in a much different way than Your Next. Your Next is very indie indie filmmakers mumblecore this is like 
big A-list actors. And one of the one of my favorite parts of this is the cold open. There's two cold opens, really. There's one on a plane where people are heading sort of towards Manorgate. And then there's another where the people wake up and they're in a field and the hunt begins. And you have a number of actors that you will instantly recognize. And then they're just picked off. Mm-hmm. I thought this was good. I, just like you're next, it's a little bit action-y. It's a little bit um, heavy on gore and kills. But then I do love, just like your next, Trent, you mentioned it about your next. There's really good character development along the way. But I feel like, unlike your next, which you and Kat mentioned, like it loses a little bit of its like mystique along the way. This one carries the mystique all the way to the end. And even though people die and people are revealed, I even ended this movie questioning some of the characters and what side they were on so it's a bloody gross gory good time it's a good mystery and i do think that like i have honestly more questions at the end of the hunt than i did at the end of your next so what did you guys think i thought the hunt was awesome it gave this one gave me serious ready or not vibes for sure um which i also loved I think I just really like the cinematography style of like the brightness, but I don't really know how to describe it. It looks good. It's a very nice looking film, probably like the $15 million budget or however much. But I love the humor of it as well, which I think was very similar to the uh, similar to Ready or Not as well. I just thought it was smart. It was an interesting story. I think that the moral of this story is that all rich people, regardless of political beliefs, um, are the absolute worst. So I think that's a really good takeaway. Um, Eat the rich, tax the rich, whatever. I don't care. Betty Gilpin is enthralling Mm. in this movie. Can't take your eyes off of her. The tiny mouth, the tiny Midwestern mouth that she's doing like the whole time (laughs) when she's just like, I don't know. Like like she has like dip in her mouth the whole time. Cigarettes only cost five bucks in Arkansas. Yeah, she was just like, anytime she was on the screen, I was just so excited. So, and I, I loved Glow. So I was really happy to see her in a different, in a different kind of vibe. She's just badass the whole time, and she's the perfect middle ground to all the shitbirds that are in this movie, all the terrible characters. But yeah, it started off with that bang, very much a scream moment for me, where I'm like, oh, there's that... Nope, okay. Oh, there's that... Nope, they're gone too. So I thought that was funny, and just like watching the trailer, like, you know, you see these actresses, and you're like, oh, they're gonna be there the whole time. Nah, they're not gonna be. I thought it was very well-paced, very much... You know, like um, like your next where I was just like I was always being entertained and I was always, you know, finding a new thing that was going on. Like, oh, there's a twist kind of. But yeah, I thought well paced, kept my attention. I thought it wrapped up very well. Kind of like I know you guys don't like it when it's all like tied up in a bow and you'd rather it be a little ambiguous. But I thought that this was a great ending. But yeah, I really like this one. This is a great one. I hadn't seen this. I kind of I forgot about it. I remembered that it was pulled, and that I thought the same thing, Kevin. And I think that the the shooting, ex, I think that was kind of an excuse. I think this was pulled because word started to get out that there was this horror movie coming out where liberals hunt deplorables. Yes, which yeah. as they call they them. Actually, yeah. use that word in this movie. And Trump tweeted about this movie. I don't know if you know that. 
Trump actually tweeted, um, the, and it's still up now that he's back on Twitter. You Woo. can find the tweet. He said something like, the movie coming out is designed to cause division and chaos, and he's referring to the hunt. I think they even talked about this on Fox. Everybody just assumed it was going to be anti-MAGA, mm-hmm. and I think that's why the studio pulled it, and they blamed it on the shootings. There was a couple of those shootings. Oh, we can't have this movie come out. Anyway, I liked the gag that the villains are the limousine liberals. Mm-hmm. It's a very specific... You know, it's not just like the villains are liberals, but it's the the rich, affluent, upper crust liberals. Um, you don't see that as much in these movies that we talk about. It reminded me a little bit of Get Out in that way, in the way that Get Out parodies the same kind of upper class liberal phonies. I liked that. I thought it was funny. As a satire, it's pretty gentle. It, it makes fun of everyone. It makes mm-hmm. fun of the the yeah. MAGAs. They believe in all the dumb conspiracy theories, and they're on Facebook and stand to your ground. They're like kind of idiots, and then the liberals are terrible. So it, it's like nobody could really, at the end of this, at the end of the day, when you actually watch this movie, nobody could really be mad at this. This is the, the type of sat- satire that anybody would really be mad at. It takes the very worst possible example of each side and it kind of skewers them both it's you know pretty harmless in that way um this was i I saw a quote that they actually used to to promote this movie it was like the most controversial movie nobody's seen yet or something like that Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what is once you see it you know it's not really like nobody would would be like oh but that's making fun of me (laughs) you know like it's the, the targets are pretty easy um i thought it was paced great uh, moved right along, just like you're next. It really gets going right away. Betty, what's her name? Gilpin? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Betty Gilpin is incredible in this. I don't think this movie would work nearly as mm-hmm. well without her. She gives, it's such an eccentric, weird performance. There's something so just off about her, but it's it's charming. It's really, um, it, it's really, you just get taken with her character, the way she plays it. I think the whole movie kind of rests on her. Um, you know, I, I liked the the mystery of it. I love when they end up in another country. They don't even know where they are. And yeah, a little action-y. This, 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 like your next, like comes down to sort of a final showdown with, with the final girl. I thought it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a cop-out that they give you the whole mistaken identity possibility at the end, like I feel like didn't really quite have the courage of its convictions with that. Um, I love that the target was the target was somebody online named Justice for Y'all. Yeah. yeah just, like, <laughs> just the type of obnoxious account you would see on Twitter. Like, is this a real person? How can you spend 25 hours a day tweeting about Donald Trump? Uh, this was a fun one. This is just a good old fun time. Uh, I would recommend this one. I love the hunt. Yeah, this yes. week we're just all... We're all on Boring board, Boring episode, Kevin. whatever. Great picks this week. It's political, and it, when, at first I thought it was like MAGA. It seemed kind of like MAGA, like more pr- like just bashing the liberals Th- at that, first. Yeah, you, that's kind of what I thought it. was a little different about it. But yeah. then it becomes so over the top that it's unbiased because of right. how violent it is, how all the deaths are like really quick. There's no like, oh, there's a couple one-liners I, I kind of remember one Betty Gilpin. You fucked up, bitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I, I think an alternate title for this would be All Lives Don't Matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like it when badasses cauterize their wounds oh, yeah. with flames. Mm, yeah. And she takes a torch right to that shit. Check. Also, uh, as far as politics go, I don't really know too much, but I like the uh, parallels between the George Orwell Animal Farm and the snowball kind of snowflake uh, analogy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, um, I thought that was really cool. And overall, this movie is just like really smart, but also, you know, bloody and gory and goofy. Um, But I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, for a horror movie, they don't they don't spend a lot of time setting you up for kills. There's just a lot of like, you're dead, you're dead, you're, now you're dead. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, tactically get here. You're dead, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's a large cast. It's a for huge that cast. This is no diss, but I wouldn't call this a horror movie, really. Yeah, I mean, borderline, a little bit actiony. Yeah. Sure, yeah. but I mean, hyper. But I think if action. you're in the video store, this goes in the horror section. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I, I also think, you know, Trent, to your point, that, you know, it's it's playing sides. And Dave, you said it like at some point you're like, OK, they're not catering to anybody. I think Betty Gilpin's character, though, is making the point of the entire movie. So, Trent, you said that there was uh, mistaken identity. I think that is the entire point of the movie, that by the end of the movie, when she meets up with Hillary Swank and they're about to have their like matrix showdown it's why are we judging anybody you don't know me like i'm not the person uh, that you think i am especially based on social media exactly and text messages which are prevalent throughout this um you know hillary swank as a ceo her there's a whole like um, her, like there's a cancellation they kind of weave in this like cancellation they do cancel story culture big time for yeah, sure yeah yeah but I think Gilpin's character is like not just like the entertainment factor and the person that we're rooting for, but also she's the point of the movie where mm-hmm. they do satirize the right and the left big time. But Gilpin is the one that's like, I don't fucking care about any of this. And you just dragged me into this. Mm-hmm. And I had to do what I had to do. But yeah. why, why are you judging me? And Swank won't let it go. Yeah. That, and that was a, an interesting part too, just like... Um, when Hillary Swank is calling her Snowball, and she's like, why are you calling me Snowball? She's like, oh, it's from Animal Farm. Like, you probably wouldn't understand. And she was like, no, it doesn't make sense because this character from Animal Farm isn't what you think. And, but, and Hillary Swank's like, like, whatever. Like, And then like they fight. So it's just like that moment. It's like, so you don't know either. And it's it's that, I thought that part was um, a, a good like tie-in as well. I do think if this is a good movie for white northeastern wannabe urban liberals like us to watch because (laughs) even though you know obviously this these characters are presented in the extreme they're rich they're upper class all the scenes and and you know it's easy you know it's nothing like that clever but the scenes of them like arguing about like what is the current proper term for minority groups arguing amongst themselves and uh, when they're going through the list of, they're going through the slideshow of people online that they want to target, <sighs> and they're like, "There's a guy with a trophy kill. Oh, he's in." Yeah, they're doing like a draft. Oh of God, it. a conservative yeah. minority. Jesus, he's on the list. You know, <laughs> uh, and then they talk about whether 
they need to have people of color on the kill list. I mean, you know, all that stuff. NPR is mentioned a couple times. It's funny, and I think that in in its fairly harmless way, I think it is useful for everybody sometimes to get maybe just like a little dose of how you fucking sound to other people who are not you, because a lot of times you sound ridiculous, <laughs> you know, and this movie does kind of do that. So I appreciated that. Yeah, I don't use social media. Well, you know. Unless you're following Speak All Evil Pod yes. on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm Please a terrible like marketing person. like and subscribe. Person. No, that, that's actually, but that's a big part of the, of the movie too, is the toxic brew that is created by the existence of social media and everybody's toxic relationship with it. I mean, so many evils just start right there. Well, we're watching the Mon Pa scene right now. There's a convenience store in the movie. Great scene. It's a great scene. And at one point she says, they probably use the N word (laughs) and they probably use it on Twitter. (laughs) How three years before Elon Musk bought Twitter... (laughs) The guy says he he owns seven guns, and right away there's kind of a tell because they're in disguise. The liberals are in disguise here. The first tell is when she says, but why? (laughs) Why do you own seven guns? And then you, oh, okay, then you realize these these are- Because I'm an American. And and some of the people that uh, Betty Gilpin uh, dispatches, uh, like they say something a little bit like- Yeah. Apathetic. It, or it doesn't something. take much. Yeah, that's really funny too. Apathetic, rather. Like the guy that's driving them in the car. Yeah, that's and what I was they thinking. think that he's rescuing them, and he keeps saying, "But, but you must have done something." Like say on, <laughs> on social media. What, I, I just what? What did you what do? Did you do? Dude, that's yeah. Macon Blair. <laughs> so funny. Oh, right. I thought he looked yeah, familiar. The Blue guy, Ruin. like Blue Ruin, yeah. Green Room. Oh, like, yeah. Oh my God! Right. And then one wow. of the other guys, Ethan wow. Supley, from Mallrats. Okay. Yes, yes. The yeah. guy that's like pissed about the Easter Bunny. The painting. Because he can't see the sailboat. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. he tackles the Easter Bunny. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just think, um, I don't know, I, I hate both sides, honestly. I just don't like anyone. I mean, I think that's part of what what it's doing is like, if you just go online and if your experience with people is through their political posts on social media, then you would hate everyone because you would be led to the, I think, false conclusion that everybody is actually just like this in real life when in reality, it's a small number of very weird fucking people who are online all day, every day being insane and everybody gets the wrong idea. It just like perpetuates itself though. Everybody just hates each other even more because they're being presented with this cartoon, this crazy psychotic online cartoon of each other all the time. It's so unhealthy. People should have the right to spread misinformation. (laughs) (laughs) Everything in this is a parody. Every character is so amplified, except for Betty Gilpin. Right. And we still don't really know what her deal is, to be honest. She she at no point does she... Afghanistan. Well, she was in Afghanistan. She she did. Right. That that's what gave her the uh, I mean that was like an skill. added like the ironic. Tactical. That's twist. what gave her the skills to like take all these people out. Skill set. Yes. <laughs> A particular set of but skills. She, but she never lets her um she never lets her personal politics be known. And in fact she keeps saying she doesn't care why like the one guy says, Don't you want to know why they're doing this? And she says, Nope, I don't care. All I care about is they're trying to kill me. I'm gonna try to stop them. 
doesn't matter. Is that like the, the, the trainer guy? That yeah. Was like, yeah. Yeah. Another thing that makes this action is whenever there's a lot of weapons and there's choosing of weapons. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not yeah, like yeah. you're choosing like the axe or whatever. I mean, sometimes, but you know, there's always the scene where people are getting the weapons, putting the cartridges in and all that stuff. That's a great scene in the beginning when, when they roll out that big thing of weapons. That that's classic. There's a lot of movies, horror action that are people being hunted, dangerous game kind of thing. Yeah, the, yeah. It's, this uh, this is a tradition. That I was thinking that too, all the way back to dangerous twist. game. Yeah, it's a good twist on that. Absolutely, yeah. Running Man, I mean, many. Very current. I was curious about um, what you guys thought about the story that Crystal told about like the jackrabbit. Oh yeah. That was in the a, box turtle. A weird scene. I think she is the jackrabbit in that story. I thought the story was, you know, usually the jackrabbit or the tortoise and the hare. Okay, the the hare gets so complacent and he's so sure of his victory that he takes a nap, and eventually the tortoise who never gives up catches up and wins. Right. So that's she tells that story, but in her version. That does happen, yes, but then the rabbit goes and exterminates the entire family <laughs> of the tortoise uh, because saving saving the tortoise for last. I, I thought that that was kind of a political thing, and I thought it was just kind of saying that these these people that are at the top will always be at the top, no matter what you do, no matter who you vote for, what side you think you're on. You're you're going to be the tortoise regardless. You're never going to be that hare, mm. and so it's almost pointless to you know we're, we're choosing sides down here it's a bunch of tortoises choosing sides when you know the hares are going to have you either way i think another big thing about this movie is you know we live in a time where you know you talk talked about a trend with fox news and conspiracy theories and misinformation this movie is predicated upon a conspiracy theory that didn't exist. Yes, that's pretty good. Yeah. Until somebody fucked somebody over. Right. They got canceled. They got canceled. And then they were like, you know what? I'm going to make this conspiracy theory happen. I was thinking about this uh, was released. It didn't. It was released in March of 2020. That's another reason that this kind of went under the radar is because once it finally did get released after the delay, it was released right before the COVID shutdowns. Yes. And so this movie never really had a chance at all. It was delayed, and then it was COVID. I was thinking, imagine this: if this movie was made after COVID and after January 6th, after Trump, like you could do a sequel uh, to this movie just like two years later. That might be interesting. You could you could weave in a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, this movie bombed. It was a $14 million budget. Kat, you said 15, so you were close. Oh, nice. Uh, Looks good. Only, only made 12, but it's because it literally came out a week before theaters. It, I, I was going to say, I think it had a week. I think it but had a week hit, in theaters. It hit VOD pretty quick, and it wasn't... I, I Oh, there's the you fucked up bitch scene. Uh, <laughs> it hit VOD pretty quick. I'm guessing it was probably like a $20, but I feel like I could buy this movie for pretty cheap mm. shortly after it came out so i feel like it's gonna get to the like cult classic kind of status it, it kind of i mean it's gag kind of got ruined it it had a gag it had controversy and that i think that was supposed to drive it it was supposed to be a controversial new movie and that got blunted with the delay and then it got ruined again with code and so the whole point of this movie to me was kind of trying to be i mean i 
I would say a fake controversy. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I think this movie was trying to come out the gates and, and get people wound up and it wasn't able to do that. And then, so now it's just kind of like, oh yeah, that movie we're supposed to be mad at that never really, oh yeah. I'm just kind of bummed that Betty's not getting the recognition, you know what I mean? For such a awesome performance, so. I think that, so you're right, that so much has happened. Like this is a little bit, on the early end it, of all the misinformation. Uh, yeah, it's almost dated already. Conspiracy yeah. theories. Yeah. yeah so yeah. much has happened since then. <laughs> Even though yeah. there's no reference to the pandemic. In I this. know. And I was like, that's yeah. like the whole... This is yeah. the good old days. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is when shit was like manageable. Right. <laughs> the whole scene where she gets mixed up with immigrants that are hiding on a train. That entire sequence is amazing. Like, yeah, very there's good. so many political things within that for immigration, for the like the politic uh, politicization of like what this movie's going for. That entire sequence is amazing. Yeah, very good. Very there's good. There's a a man with a grenade in his pants. <laughs> Who gets vaporized <laughs> Dave, into like Dave's doing this much more succinctly or <laughs> more entertainingly than I just did. He just turns to pink dust. And I've realized that I want this is the kind of thing I want for me now. I want totally vaporized. Poof. Yeah. Trent, one of the things that I read about is that they compared this movie to Baccarat. Wow. Um, I would have to see Baccarat again. Um, I would immediately draw a comparison, but that's interesting. That I, that actually actually does make some sense. I think Swank wraps this whole thing up perfectly where Gilpin says, uh, you don't care about the truth. And Swank says, the only difference is I'm right. Next week, two video nasties by the same director. I was going to make people guess what it was. Dave already guessed it. <laughs> Ruggiero Diodato. R.I.P. December 29th, Ruggiero left us. We're going to finally talk about Cannibal Holocaust, which is on Shutter right now. And we're going to talk about The House on the Edge of the Park, which is a cheap, grimy $1.99 VOD pretty much Ugh. anywhere. Ugh.